The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car from True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or at home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. It's time to place your bets with RJ Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet. Get the real scoop from the betting expert himself as he shares the hottest tips during the NBA Finals. Download new episodes of RJ Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's the offseason. We're going to talk all things NFL as best we can. Appreciate everybody staying with us, Sam. We've had uh, still really good numbers. A lot of people sticking with us after all the draft coverage, which usually that's our peak, you know, draft season. Everybody wants to know what's going on. But uh, people are sticking with us throughout the offseason. I suggest that they do. Well, now everybody is, you know, looking forward to the NFL. It's like, uh uh-oh, this is... This is the real off season. Now there's like a month or two where nothing's happening, but I still need a football fix. Yeah, you need your football fix. And so we need to report on, on pretty much everything. So we're going to discuss Xavier Howard and his contract. Is it the richest in history for a cornerback? Technically it is. We'll discuss some of the details there. Gerald McCoy potentially being traded to the Browns from the Tampa Bay Bucks. We'll discuss what that would look like for the Browns and their defensive line. Dontrell Inman signed with the New England Patriots. We'll break that down quickly. And then maybe, do we have to discuss Dak Prescott? Yeah. All right, Dak Prescott, is he worth $30 million at quarterback? That could take an hour, that discussion. So um, we'll get into all of that. Let's start with Xavier Howard, a fascinating prospect because we nailed it back in college. We said uh, when he was in college, not us. We were watching him at Baylor, and there were some plays where he looks like Richard Sherman, other plays where he looked like an overmatched Big 12 corner, just didn't have a clue, and a lot of that has, has carried over to the NFL. So despite all the interceptions last season, there's a lot of risk with this five-year, 
$76.5 million contract that the Dolphins just gave him. Yeah, there was a reason that he wasn't the first-round draft pick back when he was coming out. Um, it was really inconsistency. The, the high-end stuff was spectacular. The low-end stuff was also spectacular, but in the opposite direction. Um, and honestly, I think the same thing is true now. The high-end stuff last year produced a league-leading amount of interceptions. The low-end stuff is still spectacularly terrible. Um, so his PFF grade has never kind of corresponded to all those interceptions. You have a guy who's grading fantastic or who's getting all these fantastic interceptions the high-end stuff isn't just plays, but you'll have games like that, entire games where he shuts down people. And overall, his statistics look pretty good. And everyone's, well, why isn't the grade that good? Why, why do you guys right. hate Xavier Howard? The game breakdown is the one. Uh, I've got our guys uh, digging through just to get all of his best and worst games. There are multiple games at 90-plus, mm-hmm. multiple games in the tw- uh, 20s and 30s yeah. in his career. So we're going to have that image. Hopefully we can get it up on the podcast by the time this is aired, uh, just so everybody can see. Um, but it'll certainly be up on our Xavier Howard breakdown on our YouTube channel. So this discussion kind of reminds me of Marcus Peters a couple of years ago. It's a lot like Marcus Peters, and in a, in a different way, it's a lot like um, Xavier Rhodes, right? Which yeah. is the way in which they are, the way in which they create their negative plays are often ones that people forget about quite quickly. So if you're able to go toe to toe with a number one receiver and sort of shut him down over a game people will forget about an awful lot otherwise, right? Now, if you do that in, in a primetime game, that buys you, what, three games of crappy play against oh, other teams that aren't primetime? Andy Dalton's working The other the thing other is, if that. you're going to be a cornerback that has a flaw, if you're able to make your flaw be that when you get toasted, you tackle a guy and therefore give up a penalty, that's a really great way of hiding your negatives because... The announcers love that. They do, and also it means that it doesn't go down in your coverage statistics right you're able to hide a lot of plays that would be terrible coverage um by just giving up a penalty instead right so if you're going to get beat deep down the field but that's our just fault. tackle them that's our fault for not accumulating penalty yardage into our stats so yeah, it's almost like maybe. but listen like we kind of different thing though it's but not, we've set the standard for using coverage stats we weren't the first people to do it but we started to set the standard for it so when i look at Xavier howard last year giving up 29 catches for 469 yards we decide, We made that decision to I, just use official stats, but oh, by the way, there's seven well, penalties. They're not official stats. I would, uh, I, if it was me, I would record penalty statistics as a separate thing and just have them somewhere in the coverage numbers, which we should do. We should do. We let's have, we have the that power decision. to do that. Okay. You could do that. That's, I could. That's so let's, your world. Let's do that. But in the meantime, right, they're not the same thing because you didn't, I mean, they're not coverage yards. They are other yards, penalty yards. Yeah. But the point is, you can hide an awful lot of bad coverage plays in penalties if you are that kind of cornerback. Z- Xavier Rhodes does that extremely well. I'm never going to get used, by the way, that it's Xavier. I've been wondering why Xavier. you're saying that. That's how, he- that's how he says it. I thought it was just people being that's dumb beforehand, but then I heard him say his own name, and that's how he says it. So now Xavier. I'm stuck with it. Xavier. As opposed to Xavier. I don't like it. No, I don't either, but I'm stuck with it. This isn't ex Xavian, right? It's just I don't Xavian. think so, but I wouldn't I would be lying if I said I was hundred percent sure about we're, that. We're unprofessional. Anyway, check this. Ex Xavier Rhodes hides an awful lot of bad coverage plays in penalties, and Xavier Howard does likewise. So over the last three seasons, only five cornerbacks have been penalized at a higher rate than Howard has. So a lot of his negative plays get hidden in those penalty yards, and people just don't pay attention to that. If you've got a defensive holding play, it's nothing. It's five yards, automatic first down, move on. 
but you could have been roasted off the line in man coverage and better than giving up a 60-yard touchdown was to just tackle the guy. Yeah, they said great penalty. Oh, it's a smart penalty. Smart penalty, except like, you got torched. I mean, yeah, it's smart. Well, the it's point, less smart than just you know not sucking. The point with all this stuff, whether we're surfacing the stats or not, the grades cover it. Okay, yeah. so this is why the grades are the best thing to look at. Last year, Xavier uh, Howard's coverage grade was 75.3. Overall grade, 77.3. So that's good. It's in the green. It's very, very good. And then when you look at where it came from, the fact that he had seven interceptions, six of which came in three games. This is part of the issue here. He's very, very streaky. So one week, he's got two interceptions. The next week, he's given up two touchdowns on 73 yards against the Patriots. Let's discuss those high-end games, because I can remember a number of games through the years. And part, partly last year, we said, look, from a passer rating against standpoint, he was number one when playing cover two, cover three, and quarters, which are zone, mostly zone type of concepts, but the, it, we're, we're keeping this very, very broad. There will be times when a team's playing cover three, and especially quarters, where you're actually manned up, right? But I, I remember specifically the Dolphins playing quarters against the, um, the Indianapolis Colts. Those plays before the half, he had two interceptions in like 10 seconds against Andrew Luck at the end of the first half, one of which was just spectacular. One of my favorite plays in football where you're playing quarters, you have no vertical threat, meaning you're supposed to go kind of like find work in the middle of the field, mm-hmm. which when corners do that, it's just awesome. And it kind of um, it's tough for the quarterback to read it sometimes. And uh, he threw one up and it, uh, Andrew Luck threw one up and Xavier Howard made a great interception on it. So I'm remembering these zone concept type of plays that were just fantastic. There was also a game in 2017. Now the big question is going to be, can he play man? Can he play press man in this new system with Brian Flores there? But 2017 against New England, Monday Night Football, a New England offense that was rolling, and the Dolphins shut down the New England offense, and he shut down Brandon Cooks. 0 for 6 when targeting Xavier that night. Two interceptions. Brady was terrible. Xavier was awesome. These high-end games you can remember, multi-interception games. He's got like four of them over the last two years. It's funny, like man coverage, I would say, is physically more taxing or more difficult for a defensive back, a cornerback to deal with, but it's mentally a lot easier because you just have to, you know, stick to your man, the end. There's nothing, there's nothing you have to think about during the play except what your guy is doing and how to live with him when he does it. Zone coverage, in theory, is, um, you know, physically easier to do because you don't have to stick with a really elite number one wide receiver but it's mentally way more challenging because you have to understand what adjustments to make in the play that differ, that, that sort of change your responsibility. So like the, the example you gave with quarters and there's no vertical threat, suddenly you now have to change what you're doing because what you were supposed to do on the chalkboard doesn't exist. It's not there. Um, and that was always, you know, Namdi Asimov's problem. He went from man coverage where it was simple. He didn't have to think to zone coverage, well, kind where of, you have to change things on the fly, and he was just its spectacularly unable to do that. It exists, but it's just its an either-or type of thing. If you're playing quarters, it's if there's a vertical, I run right. with it. If, if but, my guy runs a shallow, I go find work right. and, and steal but the But it's the finding work thing that people have problems right. with. So it's, I've, I understand how this play works on the board, in the playbook. I've seen it. I can picture the zones in my head. My zone stops here. So I, I, I go to here, and then it's somebody else's problem. The best cornerbacks understand that, okay, my zone may stop here, but I can make a play over here without sacrificing anything over here because there, there isn't a threat. And they go and find that extra work, or they understand how to manipulate their spaces. So Xavier Howard 
is really good at that stuff. He understands how to make all those adjustments. Where he struggles is, and it's, it's because a lot of it is his size. You know, those bigger cornerbacks who have sort of spectacular long speed maybe struggle a little bit in immediate quickness. You know, Richard Sherman was the same thing. Those Seattle-style corners always struggle the most with guys that can shake them immediately in quick, confined spaces. And a lot of his problems come in that press man situation, um, which is interesting given the scheme that's presumably being ported over to New England South with Brian Flores. Yeah, where they played, uh, New England plays as much man as any team right. in the NFL. How about the fact, so I, I mentioned those multi-interception games. He has 12 career interceptions. 10 of those, 10 out of the 12, came in five games. He has five games with multiple interceptions. And this, again, going back to our college discussion, we were watching Xavier Howard play for play. You watched him before me, and you called me over to watch and just said, watch this guy, because I can't figure it out. Because there are some plays where he legitimately looks like Richard Sherman. In those five games over the last couple of years with the 10 interceptions, he's legitimately looked like Richard Sherman. Sticky coverage, ball skills to the catch point, actually has a really good feel for cutting off vertical routes and all that stuff. But it's the bad games against New England last year. Two touchdowns, 73 yards, a 35 coverage grade. 2017, two games under 30 from a coverage grade standpoint. The results are just all over the place when it comes to Howard, which, which ultimately comes back to, even though he looks like Richard Sherman sometimes, other times he looks like he shouldn't even be playing in the NFL – all those plays are still there. It all adds up to a good, not great coverage grade over the last couple of years. So there's some inherent risk here when you're making this guy the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. Yeah. Two points, though. One, we don't have any more Darrell Rivas, Richard Shermans in the league right now. Yeah. Like the, the kind of before there was a very clear, definitive, these guys are exceptional. They're elite. They're fantastic year after year after year. I don't know that those guys are in the league right now. Or if they are, they haven't yet established that long reign of perennial dominance. You know, like last year, Stephon Gilmore was as good as those seasons. But is he going to do it next year? Or are we going to get that for four or five straight seasons? So this idea of where do you throw the money? Like, you know, before with a Revis, with a Sherman, there was a clear guy that was going to get the monster contract. Who is going to get this next re- or con- uh, market redefining contract at the cornerback position. I don't know that it's obvious yet. So consequently, you know, the money has to go somewhere. The next guy that's up for his contract is going to get some kind of big deal. Right. Then the second part in this is that the, as much as this is being billed as this market resetting monster contract, it isn't really. Um, when you look at the numbers, it's going to be a very expensive year one. He's going to get 28 million ish year one, whatever happens. But basically after year one, like the Dolphins could get out of it next year if they wanted. Um, once he's on the, the roster for next year, there's another $12 million that becomes guaranteed. But this ends up being a reasonable-looking deal. Josh Norman signed his deal three years ago, and in terms of average per season, this is beating that by $50,000 a year three years after the fact. And the cap I, has gone up by how many million in that period? I think this is really smart. This is a really smart way of doing business. This is kind of what the San Francisco 49ers have done with multiple contracts, including Jimmy Garoppolo, where if you're in rebuilding mode, you front end the whole thing, right? You front load the whole, as much of the contract as possible. You pay a good player a ton of money in years you're not going to compete, right? So you just stock up on cap space early or spend all your cap space early. 
presumably Miami, or we know that they're in rebuilding mode. So now if Miami gets better in years two, three, and four, uh, you know, of the uh, Brian Flores regime, you have a much cheaper Xavier Howard, which, which makes it a much better deal. And that's kind of what the Niners do with Garoppolo, right? He make 40 million year one. That kind of gets lower as the year goes on. The cap right. goes up, and he's taking up a lower percentage of the cap. That is a smart way to do business. Well, the only downside of that is that in three years' time, if everything works out, if the guy is still a stud, if you're now competitive, he's going to want to renegotiate. Then there's a lot more money. yeah. Because now he's on a cheap deal that's not paying him what he should be getting paid, and he's going to want to start holding out, and then things get ugly. Well, he should be so, nice and say, look, you guys overpaid me in the first place. But I think the, the, actual, I think the real smartness of the move is that you, don't, you give this guy a lot of money and you don't tie yourself long-term to him. There's, these are the smartest deals in the NFL, I think, at the moment, are for guys that are non-sure bets, for guys that there's some kind of question mark about, whether it's can they repeat this level of play every single season, whether it's you know, are they that good in the first place, those, tying those guys down to, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to pay you a lot of money, but I want a lot of outs if things go south. Yeah, right. So you know, Howard could be spectacular, but they're not sure enough that they want to tie themselves, you know, six years to this guy. It's like, I will pay you almost $30 million in year one, but in exchange, I want to be able to get out of it in year two, three, four, five. So I, and I think for the player, it makes sense as well because they get a ton of money up front. Oh yeah, get paid. Right. And, you know, there's, those guys, I think, have to have some kind of understanding that you know, I'm not Darrell Rivas, so I probably shouldn't get. Corners don't. Corners don't understand that. Right. So but the agent probably It's does. a win-win. I think it's a win-win for both teams. Yeah. Uh, it is a fascinating contract. Um, and then to just, again, temper Dolphins fans' expectations, this is very similar. And let's, let's remind people what we dealt with with Marcus Peters a couple of years ago, where he would have eight interception seasons, but also give up almost 1,000 yards. Now, Howard hasn't given up almost 1,000 yards, but he also hasn't had the type of plays on the ball as consistently as Marcus Peters did a couple years ago, where he had over 20 pass breakups, including the playoffs, eight interception seasons. Howard has has given up less, but also made fewer plays on the ball. But it's similar as in we're going play by play. All of this stuff gets rolled in and matters, um, but it's the interpretation of the grade, right? So when you throw a 75 coverage grade out there, you don't compare that to every other 75 coverage grade. It's you're going to get this grade with ridiculous high-end play, with maybe some coverage busts in there, with maybe some penalties and some big plays in there, but you just you're, you're kind of rolling the dice. Can we cut down on some of the bad plays and still just kind of bank on his playmaking ability? I mean, that's how you have to look at this. But we're not we're not being mean to Xavier Howard. We don't think he's a top five corner on a play for play basis. But I can understand if you're going to invest in somebody like this, you know, trying to trying to extract those big plays out of him. But then the question becomes, how does he? marry up with this man heavy scheme now there's some i don't think it's bad look i don't last it's all small sample sizes what he did last year in cover two three four it's all a small sample size we're not gonna say well he had a 26 passer rating last year in zone ish type of uh instances uh coverages therefore that's what he is i've already told you in 2017 they were playing man against new england and he's shutting down brandon cooks and you know he's done he's done it i mean again if you're yeah. gonna sign this guy you're gonna look at his high-end games and you've seen him do it in zone and man you've seen him do it everywhere but he struggles the most in man coverage but i think he's got he can still play well in but, man coverage but his low-end plays almost all come in man coverage if the goal is to make him stefan gilmore yes which is finds the best matchup for us 
for Stephon Gilmore. That's how New England does it. Whether it's a big receiver, or sometimes it's a tight end. If Xavier Howard's going to do that, I trust him against bigger receivers, getting physical at the line of scrimmage, even though we talked about him shutting down Cooks. Overall, he's the the big receiver eraser type, right. of, type of guy Gilmore, in this scheme. Stephon Gilmore was a good man coverage corner who got made into a great man coverage corner by getting those favorable matchups. No, I understand. Xavier Howard is a better zone cover corner than he is a man cover corner that you're going to hope to turn into a good man cover corner by the favorable matchups. That is a bigger worry to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing has an element of worry. I'm just saying, if, if, if you're going to make him a man coverage corner, I think you can at least put him on bigger receivers and he can, you know, if he's facing the Demarius Thomases of the world and, um, you know, A.J. Green, you get, you get to face those bigger guys. He can do okay. Okay. So win-win probably for both teams, uh, the way, especially the way the contract is structured. You want to discuss Dak? Yeah. yeah. The big money. So we're talking about Dak Prescott being a $30 million a year quarterback. And again, this is completely in a vacuum. I do think when you're talking quarterback contracts, the idea of front-loading them, I think can make a lot of sense depending on well, here, the situation so- or a Derek Carr situation where he made a ton of money from the Raiders, but the Raiders have some pretty good outs there if they need to move on i think i think dak has to be in that boat this is a perfect opportunity to pitch your appeal for the nfl to create a middle class of quarterbacks yes yeah, so, so throw it out there so we did a whole give me th- your idea well it's, well, it's impossible to do because it, it essentially would take collusion <laughs> um and we know that the nfl owners are well above colluding of course so we did a whole video on it a few weeks back because eric and george did a breakdown and and you know, Chris has been coming in here in the office and he's like, I need answers here. Like, who do you pay? Who do you not pay? What's going on? We essentially came to the conclusion when you have a top eight to 10 quarterback, it truly is a game changer. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it's not a generic cutoff, but when you have guys in that top 10 range, when it, whether it's Brady, Breeze, Rogers, um, Mahomes now, Rivers is probably in that boat, Big Ben, Matt Ryan. I like the Matt Ryan rule. The somebody Ryan stealing rule. this from somebody. If your guys, if your quarterback's worse than Matt Ryan, you can keep looking. Okay. If you have Matt Ryan or better, you can you can win. Do you think we're all more agreed? consistently? Do you think we're all agreed that Dak Prescott is worse than Matt Ryan? I'm a, I'm in complete. Agreement. I am. But yes. do you think? You well, know, I don't think everybody's in agreement. Worldwide, landscape wise, we're all agreed on that. No, because because we probably should. Because I've seen people cite stuff like since 2016, best quarterback record in the NFL, Tom Brady, of course, oh, quarterback, and then Dak. I'm just I'm just giving you the arguments. Dak Prescott's number two, I believe. Right, but if the argument is that. wins. Go away. If the argument is wins, I mean, we over can't time it's going to even off. But in a three-year sample, of course not. So Dak, he wins, right? There's the running component that he brings to the table. I do think that is valuable, right? You can use him yeah. in the red zone. There's, there's something to that. I'm just I saying, think Dak is he's at best the 15th best quarterback in the NFL. He's in that 15 to 22 range. I'm just saying, there's a level of people that you can't talk to, right? Yeah, I know. So if the if the argument coming back at you is QB wins. We can't have a conversation. Right. So, so there's this, this cutoff at the top 8 to 10. I think Baker's in that mix now. Yeah. Mahomes is in that mix now. It's getting more crowded. It's more crowded. But So we'll say it's, it's top 10. If you have a top 10 quarterback, you build around him. Once you're at 11 through 25, there's a certain level of interchangeable with those guys. They have different skill sets. Uh, they're not the exact same player, but you're talking about Matthew Stafford. I think you're talking about Cam Newton. There was a lot of talk about Cam Newton 
over the weekend about his Hall of Fame credentials and all what? these different things. Hall of Fame? Well, because when you stack up counting stats like passing yards and rushing touchdowns and different things like that, his rushing, his rushing ability is extremely valuable. But using our grades, he's really had one year where he's been elite or close to it, that MVP season. Maybe one other year where I think he cracked the top 10 in our grades and has mostly been in the 15 to 20 range. And this is, forget, you know, his situation hasn't always been great in Carolina and all that stuff. I don't think they've built around him all that well. But still, I think Cam is in that next tier of quarterback. And I'm I'm very broad tiers here. I'm I'm putting Brady and Rivers in the same tier for a minute here. Top 10 or the next 15. (laughs) The next 15 includes, give me, you have the The quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, it's Kirk Cousins. Andy Stafford. Dalton's at the bottom end of it. Stafford's Carr. there. Newton's there. Carr's there. Dak's there. Jameis. Right? Honestly, Carson Wentz is still there right now. Yeah, probably. Carson Wentz could crack the top ten. I think he's got a better shot than, say, Goff or Dak at this point to truly crack the top ten more consistently. Um, but if you look at their careers, Wentz, Goff, and Dak, very similar from a throw-for-throw basis. All that said, when you're in that next tier, how hard is it to get somebody in that tier is the question. So the next time there's a draft... And Dwayne Haskins comes out, or Kyler Murray, of course, we said we think could be in that top 10 range. Mm-hmm. Is it that tough to move on from Dak Prescott for, say, a Dwayne Haskins? That would be the question, right? When do you move on to the rookie contract quarterback? And there's, there's, just, there's just a lot at play here. If you give Dak $30 million a year, I know you'll keep getting more contracts on top of that, so it won't look as bad over time. Right, but I, mean, I don't think Dak's worth that type of money. The salary cap so keeps going up, so thirty million is just—it's the new twenty million. But the, you know, the, it's just the percentage so, of the quarterback is chewing up is staying the same. It's just that the numbers keep getting bigger. It's just so risky. It, so it used to be like I think a binary thing, which is you either have a quarterback or you don't. And if you don't have a quarterback, you basically you need one, so you have to throw whatever it takes to get at. And then it's just a case of where you draw the line. Right. Like, is this guy actually a quarterback or not? And I think, you know who broke the system? Who's that? Alex Smith. The contract that Alex Smith got in Kansas City, where it was, ugh, I, I know that you're Alex Smith and you're not actually that good, but I think you're just good enough that we can win with you and if we don't have you, we get the last few years, which was a disaster. So we have to give you the $100 million quarterback contract. He wins, he wins everywhere he goes. Right. So he got the $100 million deal, and that created this binary situation where if you're above this line, you get $100 million. And if you're below this line, you get cast away to be a backup forever. I mean, Flacco broke it, too. No, well, so Flacco did, but he for a different reason, right? Flacco got the deal because of a four-game stretch where it looked like he was better than that. Now, he just, they just miscalculated what Flacco was. There was also just, here's a reward for what you did, right. rather but than it was, here's what you're going So you to can do. look at it that way, that you got a reward for the game that brought us the Super Bowl. Or you can look at it, if the, this four-game stretch was legitimately elite quarterback play. We think you can be this guy going forward. You've won the Super Bowl now. Yeah. Turn us into the, the Patriots. So and it didn't happen. Real quick, let me say... Hang on. The, so that... Go ahead. that the, the Flacco deal, I think, was different because they just miscalculated what Flacco was. And then Flacco went back to being Joe Flacco, and it was just a bad deal. The Chiefs-Alex Smith contract was different because they knew exactly what Alex Smith was and determined that giving him $100 million was better than 
not giving him $100 because he wasn't worth it and being stuck in quarterback hell. Well, so that's a part of it, too, because if you look at the Chiefs' quarterback hell, we're talking about the Brody Coyles. Right. Coyles. Yes. Coyles? Brody Croyle. Coyle. Brody Coyles of the world. Tyler Palco was starting games in 2011. Tyler Thigpen. Tyler Thigpen's. I mean, we're talking. Part of it comes from where did, where did you come from? Right. If you had literally the worst quarterback situation or two in the NFL, Alex Smith looks like Super Bowl heaven, he looks right? Like a $100 million quarterback. So just to be clear on all this stuff, a top 10 quarter, nothing guarantees anything. Anytime we're discussing any of this stuff, there's nuance to it. It's just playing the percentages, right? Philip Rivers has had bad years and losing seasons and all that stuff. Matt Ryan has had losing seasons. So having a top 10 quarterback doesn't guarantee anything. Mm-hmm. It just gives you a higher percentage chance of winning year in, year out, making it to the playoffs year in, year out. But at the same time, having a Kirk Cousins, a Matthew Stafford, a Dak Prescott, you can have good years with all these guys. It's just harder. It's just harder because they're not going to carry guys as much. And I think this next tier of quarterback, 11 through 25, call it, has so much dependency on their supporting cast. And real quick, Cam Newton's MVP season in 2015, even though the supporting cast on paper didn't look great, that was a year where they got a better supporting cast for his skill sets. They ran him a little bit more. They played to his skill set as well, and he had the MVP season. There is dependency more in that tier on your supporting cast. Yeah. So where I was going with all that is it used to be this binary system of yes or no, you have a quarterback. Now I think you're looking at at least three, probably four or five tiers that all factor into the money you should give the guy, right? Dream scenario is you find rookie deal quarterback who's amazing. Patrick Mahomes, right? Or now Russell all of a sudden, Wilson, 2012 right. through whatever. Now all of a sudden you have a, uh, a Super Bowl window because you have no money tied up in right. the most important position in the game who's playing at an all-pro level, Baker and you, you just have an advantage over everybody else. Right. The, look what the Browns have been able to do just in the last 12 months because they have Baker Mayfield tied down to a modest contract and suddenly have all the money in the world to throw at everything, yeah. more so if they acquire uh, Gerald McCoy. <clears throat> so that's dream scenario, right? The next best is just having the great quarterback, regardless of what you have to pay him. So having a Tom Brady, bad example, because he's taken the hometown discount every year. The Tom Brady, the Aaron Rodgers, the whatever, right? Just Andrew Luck, just having the elite quarterback. Okay, we've got a guy who, with him alone, we will be contending every single year, so we pay him whatever it takes. So we've seen repeatedly that Andrew Luck is single-handedly capable of dragging whatever Colts roster you put around him to the postseason. Now, he's helped by the fact that that division doesn't tend to be great. So, but anyway, that, so that's scenario number two. Now you get down to, okay, now you've got the next tier, the tier you're talking about, the middle class. Now, are they're good enough to win games. They're good enough to probably win a championship, but it's going to take more work. For them yeah. to win a championship, it's going to take a top-level roster around them. They're not going to be able to do what Andrew Luck is able to do in terms of dragging a crappy roster to the Super Bowl. You're going to need to put the, what is it, 2013 Broncos defense around them, you're going to need to put an elite 2015. Yeah. You're going to need to put an elite receiving core around them. They're going to need help to get there, but they can do it. So now the those guys teams need to start juggling the salary because you can't really give them the Aaron Rodgers deal because that restricts you too much from being able to put that championship caliber roster around them. What really needs to happen is those guys get signed to a deal that's good enough to uh, to acknowledge the fact that they're good quarterbacks but doesn't hamstring you so much that those guys have no shot of ever winning because they need more help than everybody else. And then, you know, tier four is just, you suck. Tier three is big. I mean, honestly, tier three, 
is a big chunk of the NFL. I mean, I, I would just in basic terms. There's more tiers if you're really going to get granular, granular, right. granular with it. But we're talking about like Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston are in there. Alex Smith, who you mentioned, is in there. Joe Flacco technically is in there, right? The guy Nick Foles is in there, right? All these guys, you're capable of winning with them, as you said. Just so much other stuff has to go right. I also believe in a given year, I've said this, I don't know if this is contradicting myself a little bit, but if you get all those pieces around them, all of these guys in any given year can be top 10 quarterbacks yeah. as far as output. Look right? like it. Yeah. Right, as far as statistical output. So I always use Andy Dalton's 2015 season where he had A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, and healthy Tyler Eifert. And he was a top 10 statistical quarterback, top five before he got Not hurt. Not even, I mean, it will, it will, those ones will be reflected in grading. They will grade like top 10 quarterbacks. You just need to understand that it's being propelled by the surrounding cast. But even and if you take that away, they won't have the same grade. But even like 2013, Nick Foles, when he had 27 touchdowns, two interceptions, right. it was the best statistical season. Well, top five statistical season of all time, but he wasn't a top 10 quarterback in our grading because he had a great season. The grading will take longer to get there. Helping all that. So, because you still need to make the plays. So you can build this perfect ecosystem around the guys. It's just more challenging. So, yes, can you find this middle ground where, let's just say all the top quarterbacks are making $30 million a year. Let's say the top 10 guys get $30 million. Is there that next group that's in the 20s, right? Kirk Cousins, you got to make 20 to 22. Dak, you got to make 20 to 22. Can you keep those guys there? But because the NFL is so afraid of not having a quarterback, we'll never do that. So this is the thing. It's because... So the NFL, <clears throat> the binary system is still there. We're still broken by the Alex Smith contract. The NFL still living in that. We're right. trying to say they maybe haven't don't. yet moved to this idea of these are two dream scenario quarterbacks. There's the third tier is the tier that needs to be making less money than that. Otherwise, they can't win with those guys. And that's what it comes down to. If I can't win with a quarterback of that level making thirty million a year, I can't give him thirty million a year. Right. At that point, it becomes the better move to walk away from that guy rather than commit that kind of money to him. Now, Kirk Cousins was, the, was an interesting deal because that was a contract where they tried to do it differently. So they still gave him $28 million a year, which is the same kind of ballpark, but they went, okay, we're only going to give it, we'll give it fully guaranteed and we'll do it for three years. Right. So they said, instead of going to 30, instead of trying to break that barrier, which is where, where it's going, we're going to carve... Three, four million a year off that, and which that's we can good. use elsewhere, and, and that's then, good for both, right? And what we're going to give up, market. What we're going to give up by doing that, you you say you essentially take less money than you could get. You're not going to get thirty million a year. You're going to get twenty eight. You're not going to get thirty four, but you're, we're going to give you it fully guaranteed and only for three years, which means you can hit the market again. So you get a shorter contract time, a longer term money, and you get fully guaranteed. And in exchange, we get a little bit more freedom to try and put a roster around you that means we can actually win with that kind of contract. I think that's the right, or at least a step in the right direction. Then we need more teams doing more things like that with that middle tier of quarterback. I think the Derek Carr contract is a, is a bit of a hybrid there as well. So Derek Carr this year, if he was to cut, get cut this year, 2019, this is year three of his contract now, he's worth $22.5 million on the cap. Dead money would be twenty-seven point four million this year however next year cap number 21.5 then 22.125 then 19.877 in 2022 but the dead money if you cut him in 2020 is only 5 million so there is it's similar to the cousins thing and 
you're locked in for three three years. You got to pay this guy. That's what yeah. that's what Minnesota has with Cousins. That's what Oakland has with Derek Carr. But because you've got this mid tier quarterback, it gives you the options to look elsewhere. Right, you're able to look elsewhere. So the fact that if if Kyler Murray fell to four, Oakland could seriously consider him, have both quarterbacks on the roster in 2019, and then fully move to Kyler in 2020 and move on. And I think this is where NFL teams need to start weighing things now. So let's use Dak as an example. How what are the what is the percentage chance you can get another quarterback of Dak Prescott's caliber in the draft and save a boatload of money? Right, um, but this is like a um, I forget the exact specifics, but Eric's talked about it. Like people have a bigger fear of losing than they have kind of the will yeah, to so win. You that, have a bigger fear of losing yeah. Dak Prescott. There's two ways of looking at the same equation, essentially, right? One, what is the percentage chance we can replace what Dak Prescott is bringing? Um, and two, if we give Dak Prescott $30 million a year, $30 million plus, whatever it is, um, what are the percentage chances that we can actually put a, requi- a requisite caliber roster around him with that amount of money sunk into it already. Because essentially those two things amount to the same problem, right? If I can't put the required roster around him to win at that cost, I'm better off moving well, on, whether, it's, whether I can replace that or not. Because either way, we're not winning. Here's another way of looking at it, right? What is the competitive advantage that Dak Prescott brings you, just say in the NFC East, when, if you pay him $30 million. So just look at the quarterbacks in the NFC he's East. Not. Okay, So he's better than Eli. And better, we'll say he's better than Eli and Daniel Jones right, in New he's York. He's not better than Wentz. So already you're he's not He's not winning. better than Wentz. We don't th- well, so they're close. They're close to, right. close to each other, but we don't think he's better than Wentz, well, especially not at that price. Yes. And then even with Washington, is he that big of a step up? Would you rather Haskins at cheap Haskins money? Haskins at nothing, money-wise, versus Dak at $30 million a year. You're better off with Haskins at nothing. Right. So it's, to me, it's all about the competitive advantage. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna completely, to completely say this. It's easy for us to say this in a vacuum. We're evaluating all 32 teams. It's not my job on the line. Right? You're really pitching for this, uh, this NFL gig. You're, you're, you're ta- oh, yeah, you guys would you be took the loss for the, the Bengals DC, and now you're, now you're aiming a front office. Oh, if it was my money, I'd sit there. Andy Dalton is going to keep my job for 10 years. I am all in with Andy. Right. When I'm here at PFF headquarters, it's easy for me to say, we're trying to win games here. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Who cares if you have a couple four-win seasons? I want Jameis Winston because he's going to win a championship for me 10 years down the road. Yeah. But I would, I would take Mariota. I'd take the safe... Safe play. You be you do the Raiders. You do the Raiders security. draft. Yeah, job security. You do the Raiders draft. Yeah, I'm just going to take three safe guys in the first round. Yeah, that's all I'm looking for. Safety, safety and character. Yeah, I might change, <laughs> but right now where it's easy, and for us the goal is just win games. Who cares if you have a two win season along the way? It's all about winning games and winning championships at the end. If you're truly looking at it from that viewpoint, it's very difficult to lock thirty plus million into Dak Prescott. So ultimately. All this, there's a lot of talk at the moment about analytics, you know, which, by the way, I, I don't know if a lot of people understand what the word analytics even means. Like, the NFL teams have been doing analytics since they were receiving tape from opposition, yeah. which dates back to, what, the 50s? What do they do on third and seven? They do right. this, this, and this. Analytics this of the time. means looking at data to establish information, tendencies, right? And as long as teams have been looking at opposition tape to try and work out what they do in situations, they've been doing analytics. Now, now it's easier because there's more data and more information and it's digital in a computer and you don't have to spend your life making cut-ups on a reel-to-reel and sitting in a dark room. 
but it's the same concept, right? So, but the bottom line is with all of this stuff, all you're doing is trying to get a competitive edge. It's not like if I look at this bank of numbers, I know something that's going to make me beat you 100% of the time because I know this and you don't, right? That's not the way it works. Teams that use analytics only win 50% of the time, Sam. PFF customers only win 50% of the time. Yeah. It's that I know this piece of information. Therefore, I've just stolen a couple of percentage points over you. Yeah. So even, I mean, you may be better than me. And all I've done is like swung the thing back in my favor by like 2%. You just want to swing but, every variable right, in your but favor. But it's the 2% as as that's important. Yeah. It's that I have found a 2% edge in winning that you don't have. And every single team is trying to find a 2% here, 2% there, 2% there. But the point is it only makes a difference if you actually play the numbers, right? Every single time, it's like, this gives me the better chance to win, so we do this. And if you don't do that, if you go, well, I need to make an exception here, well, then you're eroding the percentage point advantage that you've taken by the information. So with the Dak Prescott thing, it's like, okay, it's like going for a fourth down, right? It's not going to work out every single time, but the point is, if you do it every single time, that way, play the math, because ultimately, you'll be proved right long-term. The Dak Prescott thing you may end up in a situation where you go back to QB hell and it's going to suck. But if you'd taken Dak Prescott, paid him $30 million, you probably still wouldn't be winning the Super Bowl. You'd just be winning 10 games a year and look like you might. And you know what I mean? It's the same thing either way. It's just that one way you look a bit better than the other way. But you, you yeah. need to play the percentages, otherwise there's no point in any of this. Yeah, we're assuming that you're trying to win championships. Your chance of winning a Super if Bowl. If all you're looking for is to win 10 games a year and you know put asses in the chair in Jerry World, that's different. Maybe then you take Dak Prescott because oh, it's a better Zeke. financial... Then you sign Zeke because people like him more. Zeke too. But if you're actually trying to win a championship, the move is to say you're not worth $30 million. Bye-bye. Or, listen, I, I, I don't think it is binary if you do have a Derek Carr structure because there, right. there is a scenario where you could pay Dak in the 20s for a little bit and maybe you'll pay him in the 30s if you know if if he's three years down the road and he improves a little bit and he is a top 10 guy because there's a chance any of these guys right can get there it's just a lower percentage the ultimate point is you want and we want to carve out some kind of structure for this middle tier quarterback right. contract that's right whether it's the Derek Carr scenario whether it's a you know a, a version of the Kirk Cousins deal there were a couple other contracts like I think Andy Dalton's can I mean, Dalton's looked bad at the time, but well, it's not his bad can at all. essentially be yeah. viewed as that one-year rolling contract where right. you're being paid twenty million a year as long as you're justifying twenty million. Colin Kaepernick's was like that when he signed his. Yeah. It's like it's essentially a rolling starting caliber contract um, in terms of finance. Now maybe Dak Prescott. Here's the tricky. Maybe part, that's though. the thing. Making it work, right? So the Daltons, the Kaepernick's, all those guys you mentioned, the Cousins. They need a better scenario around them. In other words, they probably need more investment. They need more right. O-line, receivers, all that stuff. At the same time, I would want to cheat on them and find the next Kyler, right? I would well, want to cheat on them. So to. it is tough because if you have that chance to invest in that other guy versus investing for your quarterback, you just take that opportunity. If you think you can find a top 8 to 10 quarterback, no matter who's on your roster, you just take him, knowing that you might sacrifice some of the investment around the current starter. Right. So just being able to do that. Well, at that point, yeah. If, so the other variable of all that is if you're a tier three quarterback in this group of he can win, but he needs a hell of a lot of help, you should always be looking for a tier one because always, yeah. that's the dream scenario. So, no matter who you are, right. just keep doing that. If you think you've got one of those guys, grab him because then it doesn't matter that you need to put all this team around him. You've got the tier one guy, and that's the, the, that's the jackpot. So there you have it. Put a bow on that? Yeah. Land that plane? Yeah. It's landed. 
That's impressive corporate speak, Steve. Doing what we You're can. going places. Corporate BS generator is, is working hard yeah. over here. PFF headquarters. Okay, we spent most of the time on those two big topics. So ultimately, just, bottom line, Dak Prescott not worth $30 million a year. He's not. That's the bottom the line. Let's fly through the last two. He's also not as good as Matt Ryan. It's true. Uh, the last two stories. Gerald McCoy potentially going to the Browns. They've already loaded up on that defensive line. Sheldon Richardson's in there. We already, we already know Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi started there. They added Olivier Vernon. They added Sheldon Richardson. Adding Gerald McCoy to the mix. I like this fantastic. for no other reason than it stops the annual story being why can't the Bucks find anybody to play alongside Gerald McCoy oh, in the man. D-line. PFF grades every year. It's like Gerald McCoy. Every other year, Levante David. Sometimes a little Brent Grimes. Yeah. And then a bunch of below average. But the thing grades. is, it doesn't matter what they do to it. Like they've attacked it in the draft. They've signed people in free agency. No, anyone that plays alongside Gerald McCoy sucks for the Bucks. The Bucks fool me every year. I just I have I have optimism for the Bucks to turn it around every single year. So this year included. Ultimately, if if the if Muhammad, what the, what's that thing? If you can't move them, the mountain will come to Muhammad, right? Because we can't find players to go to the, the Bucks and play alongside Gerald McCoy. So we're just going to move Gerald McCoy out of the Bucks in order to surround him with talent. McCoy's fault. Well, we'll find out, won't we? If he goes to the Browns, what would that do for the Browns? We just talked about hey. We think you got a top ten quarterback. <laughs> you have really. money to play around with, so you can throw money at Sheldon Richardson. You can throw money at Gerald McCoy, Olivier Vernon. You could build that defense now. Like, I mean, at that especially point, if Greedy Williams hits, right? Yeah. At that point, the only thing holding the Browns back would be the concept of: Does it take that many people coming in at once time to gel, or does the weight right. of talent just make it work anyway? Did you do a nice video on that with uh, Solly? Yeah. In case you guys haven't noticed, Solomon Wilcots, new to PFF. He's on the YouTube channel. If you guys are watching here, if you guys are listening to the podcast, check it out. Uh, Solomon bringing uh, a good, different voice, been in the NFL for 25 years, uh, challenging us on a few things, learning other things. So it's going to be a fun little dynamic there. And then Bruce Gradkowski, former NFL quarterback for uh, 11 years in the NFL. 11? He's way better than Zach. Yeah, he snuck 11 years out there. Yeah. And you still hear him lament. like, man, that Case Keenum. Yeah. Got this big contract. Mind you, how long was Zach in? Like he must he hung around for like a few years. Four years, years right. practice squats. I mean, we upgraded here. Oh yeah, we upgraded yeah. to Bruce at least from a player standpoint. Right. It's not like he got on the field, but he was there for a while. He did. Yeah. He lurked around. Right. But Bruce is way better than Zach. Oh, he was playing. Yeah. He had that game with the Raiders where it was amazing. Yeah, that one game in right oh nine or <laughs> ten or whatever it was. We fired it up in the office here. Like, yeah, Bruce, you you were a hero. Yeah, He's you, Austin Gill's hero. Right. Because you had this amazing grade. Yeah, he did. He wanted us to fix a couple of those grades, too, for Monet. Sure he he's did, like, yeah. oh, no, this wasn't my fault. So he's, he's over here trying to change old grades. Anyway, yeah, Solomon Wilcots, Bruce Gretkowski, new parts of PFF. And you and Solomon went into this whole Browns discussion on the YouTube channel, which you guys can check out. Um, and then you just add Gerald McCoy potentially to the mix. And it's really interesting. We also have Parker just restarting, restarting. in here. If you guys That's don't know. fitting on his one-year birthday. If you guys are watching. Nice, Parker. If you guys are watching on the YouTube channel, our friend Parker here is like the Xavier Howard of big boards here. You know, some days he's great. Some days he just restarts in the middle of the show because. <sighs> so for anyone yeah. also, it, it's coming up to Parker's one year birthday. Oh, he might just be exploding upon himself here. Right. This but, might, he might only have one year shelf life. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, what's the term? Um, built in obsolescence or whatever it is that Apple does, you know? Oh, that's they design probably your what's happening. So that it starts to die when the next one's coming out. We need to get Parker, too. Parker, Parker's one year in. Put restarting just, in air quotes because this might not restart ever again. Yeah. I just think it's nice that uh, on his... Oh, look! 
getting windows ready. Don't do not turn, turn off. off don't turn them off. Then he'll do really not die kill forever. Parker. But yeah, it's coming up to one year of Parker being in the building, and uh, <laughs> I think it's just a fitting way of summing it up. We've had our ups and downs with Parker. He's been temperamental. At we time. do some nice videos where we use him, yeah. and he's a uh, touchscreen and all that stuff. Other times, he just uh, does turn, that. Turns off yeah. in the middle of videos. Uh, real quick, Dontrell Inman going to the New England Patriots. Shout out to Taylor. Shout out to Taylor, our old producer here, who was a diehard Chargers fan and I think summed up Dontrell Inman perfectly. Right. Taylor essentially described Dontrell Inman as, you know, if you're creating a player in Madden, before you enter any of the, st- any of the, the attributes in, you just have that shell human. Yeah. That's Dontrell Inman for wide receiver. He is wide receiver shell human, um, who just is a generic, generic guy with 60 at everything. It's not great at anything. It's not really bad at everything. Yeah, 60 across the board. He's tall. He is, 6'3", 200-something pounds. See, he screwed things up. He was with the Colts last year. He was, during the regular season, or through the wild card round, or whatever it was, he was like dead smack in the middle of all the wide receiver rankings. It was perfect. And then he had an 89.8 grade against Kansas City in the divisional round and really screwed things up, and he elevated his grade a little bit. It's going to be fun to see if the Patriots can turn generic wide receiver 60 into something impressive. It's like a 68. Right. Getting, you know... He'll get man of the match somewhere on a primetime game with the Patriots, and everyone will go, see, they've done it again. And then they'll cut him. <laughs> the Patriots have gotten a little bit bigger at receiver, though, between him, Nikhil Harry, a lot losing bigger. Gronk. It'll be interesting to see if they try to replace some of that Gronk. They signed Ben Watson. They did sign Ben Watson. Having Ben Watson and Austin Safarian Jenkins, I'm not, that's not Gronk, but they're going to piece together at least a reasonable tight end position. I mean, so Watson we should, can still play We should do bit. that next, next podcast. We should dive into what this what the rebirth Patriots offense is going to look like this year. Because this is a team that changes with personnel better than anybody. And yeah, they've had, true. you know, over the last decade with Tom Brady, they've had Microsoft. multiple different styles of sponsor- offense. Does Microsoft want to sponsor this? It's a bit late now. Well, maybe not. They got free product placement anyway. Well, yeah, because their product is just restarting on So us. Next, next podcast, we will analyze what the Patriots offense is going to look like in 2019. Working on updates. Working on updates. We good? Yeah, the end. Oh, yeah, we're done. Okay, so we're going to do one podcast a week during the offseason here. Parker might be with us or he might be out in the trash because they're going to make us get Parker, too. That's a lot. Uh, of thanks to everybody for tuning in. Stick with us all summer. Of course, again, we're, we'll listen to more requests. And we might even dive into Patreon stuff if you guys are interested. And Twitch, just give us some suggestions. On we should revive the mailbag. Yeah, we'll definitely take... Just hit us up with questions at PFF underscore podcast. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it. After the fact, I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. 
to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.